Good morning, everybody. If you don't know it by now, my title is Living an Awakened Life. And I'm going to give an example of that. I did not do this at the 9 o'clock service, but Spirit is moving me to tell a joke. <laughs> and also, some of you met my daughter Kristen last week. Uh, Kristen is my oldest daughter. She's 28. She's uh, Dr. Kristen Guillory. She got her PhD from UTA in December. And she was here to worship, so I was talking to her about the opening. And there was a joke I did several years ago at a company conference where I was giving a talk on living, not living and waking life, but maximizing the moment. And Kristen had the opportunity to see me dance the night before. So she's telling all my friends and my colleagues, she said, did you see my dad last night? He has no rhythm. So when I got ready to do my talk, I acknowledged her and had her stand so that the two or 300 people in the room could see her. And then I told that story, and at the end I said, Kristen, it was rhythm that got you here. <laughs> okay? <laughs> Are you awake? Some of you know me, some of you don't. After you get to know me, you might say, that is a crazy man. And my response is, I am not crazy. I'm alive and I'm awake. I want to give you a few affirmations that will demonstrate what the talk is. Just in case you don't hear everything, I want to at least leave you with one thing or something that will have you understand how you can take the message and live it in your life. My Christianity that I live is a practical Christianity. If I can't use it here, what good is it? So I want to use it in my relationship with you, and I want to acknowledge that it is great to be a member of this Resurrection Metropolitan Community Church family. So I am, I am privileged to be part of this. Here's an affirmation for you. I am not a victim of the world I see, for I am free as God created me. So a lot of times we get into situations where we can't really, can't really see that. Another thing I talked about is that I think relationship is super important. Relationship with each other, whether it's, you know, work relationships, your personal relationship, your, your relationship with your partner, your relationship with your family, those are super, super critical and important. And many times we have obstacles that's in the way. It may be our anger, upset over something. And so I want to leave you with this. And you can do this. You don't have to wait for somebody else to do it in a relationship. Find a person. I'm sure you have more than one because I know I have more than one enemy or perceived enemies out there. And take this. The holiest spot on earth is where an ancient hatred has become a present love. The holiest spot on earth is where an ancient hatred has become a present love. We can do that now. I talked about maximizing the moment. 
And many times we get lost in not appreciating the moments that we have here. To be awake in the moments that you have, I'll leave you with this quote. The closest proximity to eternity in this world is the present moment. And I think many times, regardless of what your economic condition is, we invest our moments in different ways. My question to you is, how are you investing your moments? Are you awake enough to know that you're investing them in a way where you're alive, you're awake, you're looking within? Go with me for a minute. I want to take an analogy today, and we heard the scripture that talks about transformation. Those of you that have seen the transformation of a caterpillar going to a butterfly, you know how there's a period where you can recognize the caterpillar, then there's a cocoon, and there's something going on in there, and then the transformation starts taking place. Just imagine for a minute the person that's sitting next to you is going through a transformation. But you can't recognize what stage they're at regarding that transformation. And they're looking at you, and they can't recognize that transformation in you either. So in dealing with understanding what living an awakened life is, we have to learn what the compassion is regarding our relationships. And just for a minute, I'd like Elisa to read something regarding this process of the caterpillar becoming a butterfly. Adult female monarchs lay their eggs <clears throat> on the underside of milkweed plant leaves. These eggs hatch, depending on temperature, in three to 12 days. The larvae feed on the plant leaves for about two weeks and develop into caterpillars about two inches long. After a while, the caterpillars attach themselves head down to a convenient twig. They shed their outer skin and begin the transformation into a pupa or chrysalis, a process which is completed in a matter of hours. The pupa resembles a waxy jade vase and becomes increasingly transparent as the process progresses. The caterpillar completes the miraculous transformation into a beautiful adult butterfly in about two weeks. The butterfly finally emerges from the now transparent chrysalis. It inflates its wings with a pool of blood it has stored in its abdomen. When this is done, the monarch expels any excess fluid and rests. The butterfly waits until its wings stiffen and dry before it flies away to start the cycle of life all over again. Okay. That process sounds rather complex. And I'd like to leave you with this. You're going through these transformations, and more than likely, you're going through multiple transformations. And in dealing with those issues, in order to become awakened, we have to tell somebody. You can go to God, that's one, that's one place you can go. But many times, these transformations are hindering the way that we're relating to each other. So we have to be aware of the fact that when we're talking to somebody, we need to recognize we may not be seeing them the way that they are. 
And I like the quote from Stephen Covey that says, we do not see the world the way it is. We see the world as we are. So a lot of times when you're seeing this person who may be going through a transformation, maybe your transformation is hindering you from seeing them. I want to take this step a little bit further because transformation means change. And I'd like Elisa to talk a little bit more about this process. The genesis of Caterpillar's transformation begins with the appearance of what scientists have termed imaginal cells. Researchers have no idea where these cells come from or why they appear. They are termed imaginals because scientists can only hypothesize that their purpose is to imagine something incredible that is about to happen. At first, the imaginals are fought off and destroyed by the intelligence of the caterpillar organism. But the imaginals keep coming back and eventually form clusters of cells to strengthen their domain. Soon the clusters form bonds where they pass genetic type information to one another. The clusters resonate at a higher frequency than their host and begin changing the physical makeup of the caterpillar. At a certain point in time, the long string of clumping and clustering imaginal cells switches gears from simply being a group of like-minded cells into the programming cells of the butterfly. They literally reach a critical mass of influence where the caterpillar's destiny is altered to become a butterfly, a new consciousness being born. Thank you. So as we, you know, as we continue to make our transformation from either asleep to becoming awakened, there are a lot of influences. One of the biggest influence on this transformation is our past. You know, the culture, the church, the society, the town, the neighborhood that we grew up in. And many times, even though we got good features from those particular experiences, whether it's your work ethics, uh, work ethic, or whether the education system, the, religion, the religious values, many of us got messages that said, I'm not good enough. Something's wrong with me. In my transformation, you know, and looking at this idea of imaginals, you know, I equate that spiritually. I like the way that science many times validates what's going on spiritually. There is movement in us. We all have the potential to be great. As a matter of fact, in any moment, we are great. Unfortunately, many times we have been through experiences that keeps us from seeing that. So in part of my experience and in getting to, getting to know me, I want to share a little bit about my story. And in the process of me telling my story, I hope you can see yourself in this story. But I lived by a term, I wanted to be the best little boy in the world. And I was growing up as a Catholic boy in the Catholic church in the 60s, seeing that I was different because I knew I was attracted to other little boys. But in the 60s, I couldn't tell anybody that. I had to hide that. So I had to pretend to be something else. 
What motivated me to pretend to be something else is the idea that I could be the best little boy in the world because if God can't love me the way I am, maybe my parents and maybe people can. So this is a paradigm that motivated me for a long, long time in my life. And finally, you know, it's, it, 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 it's something that went into another paradigm. And this one was more serious and trapped me even more from actually being able to live an awakened life. And it was the idea, one second. It was the idea that I was living with an unholy trinity that was controlling my life. That unholy trinity which was within my mind, and remember, this is, you know, this is choice. This is, these are my decisions that's being made. The unholy trinity that was living within my mind was the idea of sin, guilt, and fear. I obviously did something wrong. I didn't just do something wrong. I was something wrong. So there was fear, and then there was, I mean, there was guilt, and then the idea of being punished. Well, if I felt unlovable, what, where was my savior? How could I get out of this trap? And as I grew older, the trap or the thing that can destroy the unholy trinity of sin, guilt, and fear is something that you can decide. This is something that you can decide as an awakened individual, and that's the power of forgiveness. We don't have to wait for anybody else to forgive us. We have to be aware of how to forgive ourselves. So in breaking through this, this led to me, after almost 18 years of marriage, telling my wife, and 18 years of marriage with three children, telling my wife on September 4th, 1994, that I was gay. Now, do you think our world kind of changed when I revealed that? Yeah, it's a lot that changed. But what happened is that it was the beginning of a true transformation for me because for the first time in my life, I could stop pretending to be something I wasn't and be who I was. And I think in, in looking at sexual orientation, it's very, very important for us to realize an awakened person, it is not something you do, it is something you are. It is at your physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual level. And the way that that was revealed to me is through a dream that I had once I made the decision to come out, where I was living in a cave, and that cave was totally dark. And I came out of that cave, and it was just a bright, sunny day, a lot of space, my eyes adjusted to the space, and I looked and I said, this is uncomfortable for me. I don't like being in this much space. So I turned around to go back into the cave, and the entrance to the cave was gone. At some level, when I chose to tell the truth, I made a soul decision. I made a soul decision. And I knew that at that particular time, regardless of the difficulties that I was going through, regardless of the difficulties that I put my, my wife and my children through at that particular time, I knew everything was going to be okay. I did not get bogged down in that. And I knew at some level that my decision to do that was a, was a spiritual decision. And it was not just going to impact me. And one of the things that I know today is that I'm not a human being 
having spiritual experiences. I'm a spiritual being having a human experience. So I have, I have a resource that I can call on. I have a resource I could turn within and I could call on my God. I can call on my Christ for strength when I feel that I'm totally deserted. I still have that within. So as this decision was made, in becoming awakened, what you'll learn is that you'll see decisions that you'll make and you'll look back and you'll see, I had to do that in order to arrive at this particular point. So what happened for me is that I was exposed to this, concept, this idea of the men's gathering in Dallas, Texas. I moved here in 1999 and started the men's gathering here. The men's gathering is an empowerment group for African-American gay men. And it's still going on. In fact, last night, ironically, our topic was the gospel of inclusion. And I'm, I'm standing here in front of you in a church that practices that gospel of inclusion and for the first time, I could say, I am a proud black man, and I'm glad to be here. And I want my voice to be heard. And I will no longer keep my light somewhere else to make somebody else feel comfortable. It is not about that, people. It is about equal rights. Well, you don't want to get political, don't want to get spiritual, just look at equality. It's about equal rights. The greatest equal rights person that I know that ever lived is Jesus Christ. Okay? So I want to practice what he taught. So the men's gathering led me to know a lot of people. And I'm glad to say that many of the people that's in here today Without the men's gathering, I would not know you. And let me explain. In 2004, I joined a church called the Church Without Walls. Unfortunately, it still has a few. <laughs> and in that church, I took a nine-month Bible study, and they wanted me to teach the class. I said, y'all don't know me. You don't know me. Well, I joined that church in May, and what happened is that at the, uh, at the end of that nine-month period, because I came out in the church, I was not allowed to graduate, and I was told, you have no place here. I felt like a butterfly with my wings cut off. So in the meantime, I left, and from that experience, because of the men's gathering, I met an individual from the Human Rights Campaign. His name is Alton Leday. Alton Day told me about the human rights campaign. I immediately became a federal club member and left the church without walls that still has a few. <laughs> that decision to join the HRC led me this year to take even more of a step, or it really happened last year, to become a diversity leadership trainer. So I've been all over the country, to Minneapolis, Chicago, uh, North Carolina, I've been, you know, to New Orleans, Austin, Washington, D.C., many different places, letting my voice be heard about equality for the GLBT community. It was that voice that led me to the, uh, the, uh, Elaine DeCanio, who's a member here, who introduced me to Mark Eggleston, 
And we had the Equality Sunday that's been started from that. And in July, I became a member of this church. In becoming awakened, it is very, very important to see the relationship of your past and the decisions you're making right now and where that's going to take you. And I will say, in the process of being awakened, feel what you feel. And as Susan Jeffers would say, feel the fear, but do it anyway. So in every part of your life, regardless of whether you're an advocate, don't compromise your voice. Do not compromise your voice. Stephen Covey says that a leader, when a leader finds his or her voice, he or she will then inspire other people to find theirs. Every person in here is a leader. Every person in here is a leader. No matter where you find yourself, you have the ability to impact people if you are awakened enough to do it. So what I want to do, I want to read a quote from Martin Luther King to demonstrate some of the struggles that we may have as we do this. And I want you to reflect on some of these things that he says. This is from a 1956 book called Strive, Strive Toward Freedom, The Montgomery Story. He says, in recent months, I have also become more and more convinced of the reality of a personal God. True, I have always believed in the personality of God. But in past years, the idea of a personal God was little more than a metaphysical category, which I found theologically and philosophic, philosophically satisfying. Now, it is a living reality that has been validated in the experiences of everyday life. Perhaps the suffering, frustration, and agonizing moments which I, gave, which I have had to undergo occasionally as a result of my involvement in a difficult struggle have drawn me closer to God. Whatever the cause, God has been profoundly real to me in recent months. In the midst of outer dangers, I have felt an inner calm and known resources of strength that only God could give. When the chains of fear and the manacles of frustration have all but stymied my efforts, I have felt the power of God transforming the fatigue of despair into the buoyancy of hope. I am convinced that the universe is under the control of a loving presence, a loving purpose, and that in the struggle for righteousness, man has cosmic companionship. Behind the harsh appearances of the world, there is a benign power. To say God is personal is not to make him an object among other objects or attribute to him the finiteness and limitations of human personality. <clears throat> it is to take what is finest and noblest in our consciousness and affirm the perfect existence in him. It is certainly true that human personality is limited, but personality as such involves no necessary limitations. It simply means self-consciousness and self-direction. So in the truest sense of the word, God is a living God. In him there is feeling and will, responsiveness to the deepest yearning of the human heart. This God both evokes and answers prayer. So in concluding today, what I want to challenge you to do is go beyond change. Remember that change is inevitable, but because of choice, personal growth is optional. Change is inevitable. Personal growth is optional. It's up to you. Choose to let your voice be heard everywhere. 
Choose to be true to who you are. And in moving through change, be the change that you desire by living an awakened life. Thank you. Thank you so much for blessing us. See what God will do with an open heart and a willing mind, right? It's, it's kind of amazing. When um, Paul attended the new members class back in July, we were talking about the power that comes when we bring our different gifts and our passions together and, and bring it all together for one common purpose in this, the church. And he had a word for it, and it stuck with me. He said, it's synergy. And I thought about that and thought about that, and I thought, that is exactly what we have here, where one plus one equals five, right? That's the basket. That's the bread and the loaves. That's what God does with us. When you bring in your gifts, your passion, your truths, your beliefs, your values, your calling, your individuality, all of who you are, when you bring it here and you put it in the basket, God will take that and inspire the person next to you to say, I can do that too. And before you know it, God has enough to create heaven on earth. We are the change. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you so much that you have come here and called each one of us by name that you've given us gifts that are very different, yet each with purpose, each with an individual calling that draws us into community so that, God, we can love you with all of our heart and our soul and be in relationship to you, but then you call us to grab the hand next to us and say we can do this together. Jesus reminded us of this power where two or more are gathered. Bless us, keep us, use us. In this we pray. Amen.
Amen. Historically, Western culture has given us an idea of family, a man, a woman, a child, and possibly another child or two, a pet, a house, and probably a white picket fence. In other cultures and other times, including Jesus' time, families could look much different. War, disease, and natural tragedies affected the makeup of families as they do today. When Jesus knew of the imminence of his death, he spoke to his close friend John and told him he now had a new mother to take care of. He then spoke to his mother and said, Behold your son. Jesus gave us an example of how families can be both biological and chosen. In our home, we gather around our table with our family, probably much like Jesus did. We share the stories of the day, our joys, our challenges, our hopes, and our dreams. We break bread at that time as well. And share with each other. Sometimes we also lift the cup and toast to one of the stories of the day. A triumph at school, a hope for change at work, a cute little things one of our pets did. Sometimes there are some high fives as well and a few great jobs. We bless our table as this table is blessed, saying something like, God, thank you for these gifts. Use them to nourish us in body, mind, and spirit. Our table is much like this table, God's table. It is open to all those who want to come. The invitation is open. Simply come. At Resurrection MCC, like all other MCCs around the world, we celebrate an open communion. You don't need to be a member of this church or of any church because this is God's table. All, we, all who are members of the human family are welcome at this, God's table. Simply come and share your story with our story. Come and receive as the ushers direct. <laughs> 